If you just took the events of yesterday, I mean, if, if that's what your whole life is built upon, I'm thinking you've got your life built around a lot of worthless things. I mean, for heaven's sake, if you're a Nebraska fan, what are you to think? I mean, the world is over. You lost at home. Oh my gosh, Jesus must be coming back. And if you're a Tim Tebow fan, he's cut by the Eagles and it's all over for professional football. Worthless. Worthless things. I mean, if we're seriously going to allow the things that happen in the news to determine whether or not our day is a good day or a bad day, then we seriously have our priorities messed up and we have ourselves going towards things that are worthless. Attaining position and power and prestige. Well, it looks good on the resume. It's good for your career. It's what will advance you. But it's worthless. It's worthless when your wife comes in and says, that's it, I've had it. You haven't been home. You've worked too many hours. I'm gone. And I'm taking the kids with me. You've exercised and eaten right. You've watched what you put into your body. And all of a sudden, it's worthless when the doctor says, you have cancer anyway. It's worthless when you spend hour upon hour. Wow, our kid is just, they're going to advance so well. They're going to play this league and that league. And we're going to sacrifice and spend time here and there. And all of a sudden, they get to their senior year and they're like, I don't want to play anymore. Oh, no, you're not. We, we have dedicated hours and money and, and extra coaching. and daddy. You're going to do this thing. It's worthless. Or how about worry? How many of you are the king or queen of worry in your household? Go ahead. Which ones are here? Uh-huh. Worthless. Worthless. Worrying adds nothing to your day. It adds nothing to the situation. Your awareness of the fact that this thing is happening in your life of which you have no control over, worthless. And yet, add up the hours spent in worry. Add up the number of sleepless hours spent in fear. Add up the hours of attaining a name and a title and maybe more pay. And what has it cost you? And what has it cost your kids and your families? And more importantly, let me ask you this, because maybe this hasn't run through your brain. What does it cost the kingdom of God? Your pursuit of your name. Your pursuit of your riches. Your pursuit of what your heart is after. What does it cost the kingdom of God? 
by your lack of willingness to participate, by your lack of willingness to be discipled, by your lack and unwillingness to be transformed by the grace of God, and you choose to live still in fear, faithless, and to the honor and glory of yourself. Worthless. Worthless in comparison to the living God. And see, here's, here's my bet. My bet is, is that you have been so challenged by the worthless things that the world measures, that the world says is great. You've been so challenged by those things that you've given over to it. And you've gone for the pursuit of happiness. And you've gone for the pursuit of the life that this country says it will give you. We all know you've gone towards the pursuit of the liberty that we all feel. That I am my own God. Because I'm free to do what I want to do. And here's the problem with false gods. They're dead. They don't live. And they actually have no power. And yet people for centuries have lived in fear of false gods. Our story started out here in chapter, in chapter 14 here of Acts. As we continue through this story of Acts, we see what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They're on this first missionary journey. They get to this town and they start performing acts of grace. They heal a man who from birth couldn't walk. That's an act of God's grace, a miracle. They tell the guy, get up and walk. By faith, he gets up and walk. And the people go, the gods are here. And for those of you that are a little light on your Greek mythology, Zeus, Hermes. Hermes is the mouthpiece for Zeus. Zeus, the main god. And the story goes in the history of this town that Zeus and Hermes had once visited in human form. And the town had given them the cold shoulder, didn't know that God was with them. And Zeus and Hermes brought down the thunder. That's the story. So that when they see another miracle happen, they had told themselves in all of their lore, in all of their history, if the gods ever come back, we had better be hospitable. This is why when Paul and Barnabas have done their deed, they come, and the, the priest of Zeus comes with bowls and wreaths. We're going to celebrate. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to make sure that we don't get destroyed again. Now, how many of you love thinking that about your God? Well, we better be good. We better sacrifice. We better praise and honor, or, or our God's going to come and destroy us. Yay! <laughs> Do you know that's how some people think of Christianity? You realize that it's no different and non-Christians or unbelievers or even people who've grown up in the church and they go, no, I heard the thunder from the pulpit growing up. You better live like this. You better act like that. You better not say that and better say this. And all they heard and all they saw from Christians was a wagging finger. You don't measure up. You aren't doing it right. 
You don't, you don't, you don't. You shouldn't, you shouldn't. You should, you should. And it's worthless. Because it's no different than an idol. We're the ones to blame. Christians. We're the ones to blame in a world that says all Christianity is... Go online. Look at any research poll. What is the basic belief about Christians? They only care how you vote, and they only care whether or not they can shake their finger at you on their given topics. Nowhere in the top ten answers do people describe a Christian in the United States as loving, forgiving, devout in prayer, kind, caring. Nowhere in the top ten are any of those virtues. And it is no wonder that the world thinks that all we believe in is a God that is ready to come down and kill and destroy. These, these unbelievers here in Lystra believe that Xerxes, or sorry, that Zeus and Hermes are going to come kill and destroy. And how does Paul, you notice how he takes this? Do you, do you understand that what we have here is an example of how to speak and how to react and how to teach and how to live in a world that believes God only cares about destruction? What Paul points them to is life. He points them to good news. In verse 15, men, why are you doing this? When, when Paul and Barnabas say, whoa, we're just men. We're, we're just guys just like you. Don't sacrifice to us. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Turn from these lifeless things. Turn from these things that are pointless. Quit trying to go after the praise and the prestige of man. They will only suck the life out of you. They will only set up barriers to true living. No, we've got good news for you. This good news is the grace of God. He who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it. I love what Paul says. Look, do you not understand this is the most incredible God who's created everything. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He said, you may not know Jehovah. You may not know the creator of the earth. But I'm telling you, he's shown kindness to you in giving you what? The four seasons and rain. He's provided for your daily ability to live on this earth. God is a gracious God in direct opposition to their fear that Zeus is going to come kill them. Paul points out, wait a minute, this God gave you life. Life. 
food and water and shelter. Do you understand that that is a way to speak into the lives of the people around us to go, this is the gracious God that we are talking about. Not a God that's wagging his finger all the time. Even with these words, though, they had difficulty keeping the crowds from sacrificing to them. Even in the midst of good news, even in the midst of them going, you know what, it's not about how many sacrifices, it's not about how good you are, it's not about the things that you've done or promise you will do, it's not about that, it's simply receive the rain, receive the sunshine, receive the bread, receive my grace. Does your worrying make it rain ever? Does your ability to plan and really knock it out of the park make the fall come on September 21st or 22nd? Does any of that in your control at all? No. God's in control of all of that. And he is in control of wanting to give you life. But we have to understand this morning, from this text, we clearly see that the reason we don't have life is not because God doesn't give it. It's because we reject it. We put our time and energy and efforts into idols, into falsely going in directions that we think are a blessing to us when God goes, I really, I really have a blessing over here. And even in the midst of good news, right, people can't stand it. They won the crowd over, stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. This is a wonderful ministry that we've been called to. Be a Christian. Be hated by everybody because you threaten everything about their so-called life. And they will hate you, Jesus says, because of me. And we know that. This is what keeps us away from wanting to live it out. I, I get it. No one wants to be made fun of or laughed at. Ask any kid in first or second grade, how was your day? And the second they say, well, somebody laughed at me on the bus. Somebody made fun of me. You know, that hurts. But Paul reminds us. Paul reminds us there is much hardship in entering the kingdom of God. There's much hardship. A dying of self first, a dying to my own passions, my own desires, my own way of thinking. Then God does what? He, he has us marry somebody who, who is also a sinner and I'm supposed to die to them? Are you kidding me? And then, the blessing of children. I am supposed to die again? These little crumb crunchers? Who take up my time and my energy? Where is my time? It's costly. It's hardship. That's what God is asking of us is to die. Paul and Barnabas, they preached the good news in the city, won a large number of disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith 
Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in each church with prayer, with fasting, and committed them to the Lord. Literally in Greek, it means they put alongside the Lord. They had them walk along with Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. There's no other picture in all of Scripture that clearly shows what it means to be a disciple when, when you have been dedicated to, is to have uh, been given a commission to walk along with Jesus. So, how many of you were watching any football game yesterday, just, or, or tennis match, okay? Keep your hands raised, okay? How many of you said something or thought something that you now realize Jesus heard because he was right next to you? <laughs> that you're pretty sure you don't want him to hear? How many, how many of you go, oh, yeah. How many of you Friday morning were driving to work before a long three-day weekend, you were merging into traffic, and as people wouldn't get over, and you began to yet again explain to them their incompetence <laughs> in various words, thoughts, and phrases, Realize right now that in the passenger seat, Jesus was there. How many of you, at some point in the last week, spoke to your spouse in such a way that you now realize you should be embarrassed? Because Jesus was right there. Disciples walk with Jesus. And here's the fear that we leave it at this, that Pastor Dyer, all he does is keep bringing up, oh, yeah, okay, I did that sin and that one. Golly, does the guy have a camera in my life? And here's the issue. I can point out all the law and all the sin and everything that is wrong in your life, but hear me carefully. I want you to hear this. It's worthless. I want you to know it's worthless. It's worthless because we have a tendency as human beings to hang on what we do wrong. And we forget something. We forget that what Paul and Barnabas were preaching in the first century places that they went and establishing churches was not pointing out everyone's sin. That's easy to do. What they did was they brought people grace and they put them next to Jesus. They showed them what it was like to walk next to Jesus and to have Jesus' love and care and compassion and forgiveness enfold them, cover over them. You have been released from your sin. And I don't care what you smoked or what you drank or what you did in the dark, and neither 
does Jesus? I'm telling you, be free from this stuff. This is what the world measures. What God measures is a heart that is inclined towards Him. He says, are you towards me? Do you believe in me? Do you have faith? Even as small as a mustard seed. Do you receive my grace? Do you know my great love for you? Do you know that I died for you, Jesus says. And He does. He wants us to go to the ends of the earth so that the people know God loves them absolutely. And He doesn't look at the resume. And He doesn't see how much they've screwed up. After going through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. It was just lots of movement here. Paul and Barnabas are going from place to place because there are more and more people that need to hear this grace. From Italia, they went back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God. Literally, that phrase means they were given over. Have you been given over to the grace of God? Fully committed to the grace of God in your life? Do you know what it means to live in the grace of God completely? To actually walk in the faith that apprehends this incredible gift? So that it's no longer law that motivates you. It's no longer law that shames you. But it's God's grace that gives you life. It's God's grace that gives you wings. That you would soar on wings like eagles. That you would not grow weary and be faint. But that you would be strengthened in the grace of God. Because there are going to be challenges. There are going to be hardships. You'll hear this morning in our prayers, prayers for the brokenhearted who mourn the death of friends and family. You will hear a cancer diagnosis and a wondering, what is God doing? You will hear of a young man who is about to be released from rehab, and we hope and we pray that he would stay clean. These are the things that matter, that people are freed from their past, that they're freed from death, that we're freed from the fear of death. And we live for however long it is, whether it be for today, whether it be for a week, or whether it be for the next 40 or 50 years, but that we would live in God's grace. Last Monday night, I had an opportunity to speak to some junior high students of one of the local schools at their Fellowship of Christian Athletes huddle meeting. A neighbor across the street is one of the coaches and is the huddle leader and had the kids over, about 40 junior high kids all down in his basement. Whew. Tell you what, 40 junior high kids in a little basement, it is stinky, okay? <laughs> and they've been running around playing games, right? And I've been watching that. <laughs> I go out, I go down to the basement, and I'm talking, and I'm preaching. And it hit me on the faces of these little kids. Some of them don't know the grace of God. They just know that they're supposed to act better and be better and talk better and all of these kinds of things. And, and so I finished up my talk with them, and I literally, I just walked in front of each one of them. And I pointed them in the face, and I said, God loves you. And, and God loves you. 
And God loves you. And God loves you. And I looked at their coach, and I said, and God <laughs> even loves him. I want you to understand that this message of God's grace that Paul and Barnabas are taking to the people is about God's incredible deep love for you, and it does not matter your past. There is no one outside of God's grace. And my friends in Christ, that is the message of hope and peace that we are called to share. As we walk along with Jesus, as we are fully committed by His grace to walk and to live in that grace. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and fellowship with the Spirit be with you all. Amen.